Hello and welcome to this, the 40th edition of the Minnesota Family Law Podcast, the podcast by, with, for, and about Minnesota family law professionals. My name is Tom Tuft and I'm a family law attorney and ADR provider at the law firm of Tuft, Locke, Jerebeck, and O'Connell. Today I'm trying something different. I'm going solo. I have not done that since the very first podcast on April 10th. There have been 38 in between and I have had guests for each and every one of those. So for number 40, I'm going to give it a try again. And this time I'm going to talk about our ethical duties under the rules while practicing during a pandemic. The ethics rules have always been a topic of special interest to me. I remember having a great ethics professor in law school. Early in my career, I was appointed to the second district ethics committee where I served for 11 years first as a committee member for about six years, and then I was later appointed as chair of the committee. It was a great honor so early in my career to be appointed to such a significant position. Of course, ethics are prominent in our practice. After immigration law and criminal law, family law attorneys were probably the greatest subject of ethics complaints. What brought me to do this podcast at this time was not merely the fact that I had failed to schedule an interview for today, but also the fact that I'm presenting at an AFCC CLE on Thursday afternoon. Ethics credits for $40 for non-members and $20 for members is relatively cheap. I'm hoping... Ethics credits will be granted as well as ADR credits. This podcast will be a brief preview of what Kelly Rogoszewski and I will be presenting on Thursday. I'm going to touch and only touch the surface of the ethics rules that are most relevant to the style of practice we have to engage in now, which is primarily remote contact with clients, with courts, with opposing counsel, and our experts. I want to be sure to give credit to Allison Kerr, an attorney at my office, who gathered the rules and took the first step at drafting the materials for the ethics portion of the CLE on Thursday. As I go through the rules, I'm going to briefly paraphrase them and not read them in their entirety. Our ethics podcast can certainly be dry enough without adding to the dryness by reading each and every word in each and every rule. The first rule I'm going to talk about is competence, which provides that a lawyer should provide competent representation. As I read the rule itself, it appears to be primarily focused on those core competencies of what I think of as lawyering. I thought there should be some reference to the importance of the use of technology in our practice, and it was not till I reached note eight that I learned that is what the rulemakers thought as well. Note eight references the importance of being capable and competent enough to advise the client on the benefits and the risks associated with using relevant technology. As I read this rule, it appears that we are required to keep abreast of the changes in practice. I am old enough to have practiced before email was a thing, 
and I was not an early adopter of that technology. I have seen multiple economic downturns, but this represents a sea change in the way we practice and will likely affect how we practice in the future. Having the necessary technology and knowing how to employ, how to employ it are part of our ethical responsibilities. That does not mean we need to know how to write code, but it does mean that we can competently use Zoom, that we have appropriate firewalls and use VPNs to and other secure connections to our client's data, that we use encryption where appropriate, that we use legitimately thoughtful and secure passwords and not just the word password, and that we download and install security patches for the software we use and continue to update ourselves and our skills in using these amazing pieces of technology that have kept so many of our firms afloat during this trying time. I'm going to move on to Rule 1.6, Confidentiality of Communication. This provides that a lawyer shall not knowingly reveal information relating to the representation of a client. When we are living in such close quarters with our family members, this becomes quite challenging. Working from home, many of us have children or spouses around, and when having private conversations about client matters, it can be challenging to ensure that no one can overhear you. Some suggestions include the use of headphones so that at least half of the communication cannot be heard. Obviously going into a separate room. In fact, I'm aware of one attorney who did a mediation from her car to ensure privacy from her family. I had one client do a mediation from a hotel that was offering what they called a good neighbor program where someone can rent a hotel room for a day for $50 to allow her to get away from the hearing of her children. There is a question about whether this duty extends to the need to advise the client about confidentiality and security in his or her own home. Could my client's spouse be listening in when they're living in such close quarters? Absolutely. While an attorney may not be breaching the confidentiality rule if the client is less secure, it may be that the failure to the advise the client of how to use the tools and how to ensure confidential communication demonstrates a lack of competence, which could bring us back to a violation of Rule 1.1. Moving on to Rule 1.4, Communication. Essentially, a lawyer is required to keep the client regularly apprised of the matter so they can make intelligent, informed, timely decisions on their own pace. When I was on the Second District Ethics Committee, committee this rule must have been the most frequent basis for lawyer complaints. If not, it was right up there with diligence and competence. Working from home certainly presents its own challenges. I find and I hear from others that there are so many distractions that at times it can be hard 
to get our lo our lawyer work done while also also doing our parent work and our spouse work. Communication with clients may be less prompt than would be ideal. In addition, many attorneys are dealing with sick or vulnerable family members or extra anxiety as a result of COVID-19, which may impede their communication and work on the client's case. It is important to have techniques and tools for maintaining regular communication with clients. Some of those tools may no longer work when your paralegal is not there to hand you a file or the notes or reminders on a regular basis. We may have to rebuild those systems to maintain client communication, even if that means building a new plan or structure from scratch. Rule 1.3 is diligence. This is the last of the big trio of communication, competence, and diligence that were the source of so many ethics complaints. We are required to act with reasonable dil diligence and promptness in representing a client. Certainly the measures of diligence and promptness have been adjusted during the pandemic. Again, with changes in approach and the lack of our regular systems, it can be challenging to remain diligent in our clients' cases. No one should be expected to operate at 100% when we have been thrown into such turmoil. The courts are only recently becoming available to us. Clients and attorneys are only recently becoming comfortable with remote technologies like Zoom, Evernote, OneDrive, Dropbox, and other tools that allow us to share and communicate better with clients. Note one of this rule is especially challenging. A lawyer is required to pursue a matter on behalf of a client despite opposition, obstruction, or personal inconvenience. Clearly, the drafters of that rule did not contemplate a pandemic, and we have experienced monumental levels of opposition, obstruction, or personal inconvenience. Again, it is important to put in place processes to make sure we are following through on cases to remain diligent in representing the clients. I remember attending a CLE from a national speaker who said, when asked, what if you just can't return that last phone call of the day? You're just not ready for it. You're just not emotionally able to do so. And he said, if you're going to practice family law, you need to understand that if you can't stand the heat, you need to get out of the kitchen. It is an incredibly stressful, incredibly challenging, and incredibly rewarding area of practice. But if it is emotionally draining to us, I cannot imagine 
the level of challenge and stress and anxiety and frustration our clients must feel, especially if they cannot reach us. Before the pandemic, I would have a daily check-in with my paralegal and legal assistant at 9 o'clock. Since the pandemic, we have continued that via Zoom. It is so helpful to start the day with a quick check-in, and we are able to do it almost every day unless there's something specific scheduled at 9 o'clock, which we try to avoid. In addition, about half of my firm gathers every Wednesday morning to go through our cases in about a half an hour. It is a quick touch, check in, see what's going on, and an opportunity to spread the work if there's something significant in the offing. We have continued those via Zoom and realized the social importance in addition to the importance of moving our cases forward ethically for our clients. I think my greatest challenge right now is the significant increase in the volume of email I have received. I've spoken with several colleagues about this and that seems to be a consistent problem across the board. It, the additional emails come from many sources. We are not seeing clients in person so it is not unusual to have an email conversation going throughout the day. In addition, we get emails from our colleagues explaining how they're operating during the pandemic, that they are open, that they're not seeing clients in person, that they're operating via Zoom, via email, via telephone, etc. We get emails from professional organizations offering support and explaining what services they have. We get emails from our experts and vendors explaining what they are doing to offer services. And we get practical tips from accounting firms in town seeking to place themselves as thought leaders. A heavy day of emails pre-pandemic for me was about 200 in and out. Now I consistently have over 300 emails in and out on an average day. Rule 1.15 concerns safekeeping of property. The context I'm going to address it in concerns the use of trust accounts. I had the opportunity to present a CLE with the person who in Iowa is the equivalent of our Director of Lawyers Professional Responsibility. Unfortunately, we did not get to most of his material, but the parts of the ethics rules he did cover were really about the misuse of trust funds. The story goes that an attorney is struggling financially, bills are coming due, payroll is coming due, and there is no money available. The attorney dips into the trust account with a promise to pay it back quickly, or with a belief that they've already done the work and are entitled to the money. They only take a small amount, but it builds and builds and creates a domino effect which ultimately leads, to, ultimately leads to lawyer discipline and, in some rare cases, criminal charges. We have seen those cases regularly over the years in Minnesota, in good times and bad, from prominent, experienced attorneys and from new attorneys struggling to get by. We all pay the price in 
the diminished public confidence in attorneys, and more directly, in the form of the money we pay to cover those miscues by the attorneys. What he pointed out is something that we all know. Those funds do not belong to the attorney or the firm until they are earned and billed. Rule 5.1 concerns the responsibilities of a partner or supervisory lawyer. Our responsibility as attorneys to supervise associates of counsel, contract attorneys, etc., does not end because we are having no direct contact. It is indeed a challenge to manage, coach, train, and support younger attorneys, especially when there's such distance between us. I think it's important to maintain regular contact. Your open door policy should remain an open phone line or Zoom conference policy so that you are readily available to help answer questions and otherwise support newer attorneys. My partner, Letty Van Ert, and I have continued to do the weekly check-in with about half of the attorneys in our firm, as mentioned above. Another of my partners, John Jerebic, does a similar weekly check-in. Well, that is not the only communication we have with our associates. It is certainly a regular communication and an opportunity to check in on individual cases and talk through options and approaches. Rule 5.3 concerns the responsibilities of an attorney regarding non-lawyer assistance. With most per people working from home or other remote lo locations, it can present unique challenges in ensuring staff and younger attorneys are acting within the professional obligations that are borne by the lawyer. Again, regular check-ins with staff will allow a managing attorney to remain in the loop and notified what everyone is working on and, and give a chance for staff to ask any questions they may have. I've talked with several attorneys around town who are doing different things to manage and stay in contact with staff. Some require a certain number of check-ins per week. Some require an email or two. Some just expect the attorney through the normal process of sharing and distributing work will maintain that contact with staff. I do hope this has been helpful. I know I've read the rules many dozens of times, if not hundreds, over my career. However, the practice is nothing like what we contemplated nearly 30 years ago sitting in a law school class where I first learned of these rules. It is nothing like what I contemplated while serving on the Ramsey County Ethics Committee. I found it extremely helpful to go back to the rules, review them, and think about how I maintain and adhere to the ethical responsibilities in this very different era. And I will remind you what Patrick Kelly, my predecessor as the chair of the Second District Ethics Committee, always said, remember the ethics rules are a floor, not a ceiling. On tomorrow's podcast, we will be speaking with Taylor Casper. Taylor is a newer 
attorney practicing in estate planning and family law who hung out, who hung out her shingle as the pandemic hit it. I'm looking forward to hear how she is building her new practice in these challenging times. Once again, we have come to the end of an episode. So to my family law colleagues, I say thanks for listening, and I look forward to continuing these discussions. Now take care of yourself and your family so you can take care of your clients and your business. 